You're listening to an audio sermon by Pastor Belinda Mulder from Household of Christ. We trust that you will be encouraged and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. So this morning I'm going to speak to you about never forget your words create. Turn to your neighbor and say never forget your words create. James 3, let's turn to James 3. We're starting at verse 2. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. It's going to be a little different to yours, but it explains it really nicely, okay? It says, We all fail in many areas, but especially with our words. Yet if we're able to bridle the words we say, we are powerful enough to control ourselves in every way. And that means our character is mature and fully developed. Horses have bits and bridles in their mouths so that they can control and guide their large bodies. And the same with mighty ships. Though they are massive and driven by fierce winds, Yet they are steered by a tiny rudder in the direction of the person at the helm. And so the tongue is a small part of the body, but yet it carries great power. Just think of how a small flame can set a huge forest ablaze. And the tongue is a fire. It can be compared to the sum total of wickedness and is the most dangerous part of the human body. It corrupts the entire body and is a hellish flame. Nice, eh? It releases a fire that can burn throughout the course of human existence. For every wild animal on earth, including birds, creeping reptiles, and creatures of of the sea and land, have all been overpowered and tamed by humans. But the tongue is not able to be tamed. It's fickle, unrestrained, evil, and spews out words full of toxic poison. We use our tongue to praise God, our Father, and then turn around and curse a person who who was made in the very same image. Out of the same mouth we pour out words of praise one minute and curse the next. My brothers and sisters, this should not be this. Amen? Our tongue, a part of us. We don't realize every single day we are writing our destiny with our words. We are writing a book and we are holding the pen. What is the title of your story this morning? Is it a love story or is it a horror? Amen? Think about it this morning. What are you creating with your words? If somebody had to read your book, would they be afraid? Or would they be inspired? Would they get faith in their hearts? What would they see if they read your book this morning? Because you hold the book and you are writing it with your pen. What is the title of your story this morning? You are the meditation of your heart and the thoughts in your mind. Amen? That is what the Word of God says. Proverbs 18 verse 20 to 21 says, Sharing words of wisdom is satisfying to your inner being. It encourages you to know that you're changing someone else's life. Your words are so powerful that they will kill or give life. Isn't that amazing? Your words are so powerful that they can kill or give life. You know, when this started in my heart this week, I was actually speaking to so many people this week, and this time of the year, discouragement sets in, right? It's the end of the year, you're tired, you believe you should have been, could have been, would have been, might have been, isn't being right now, right? Amen? Who can say, yes, I'm on the right page this morning? So I want to tell you this morning, your words are very, very important right now. Because what you're saying with your mouth, you are creating your tomorrow. You are creating next year already. You know, many ladies, they say, oh, I'm so ugly. And then they wonder why they feel ugly, right? Or this husband of mine, oh, who am I speaking? Am I talking to the right people? These children of mine, they're always, always disobedient. And then you wonder why they're disobedient. Right? Amen? It's the truth, church. We do it. We create our tomorrow with our words. And that's a scary thing to think, that we are holding the pen and we are writing our tomorrow. And if God had to come back now and take our lives written by our own words, 
in our book? What would be the title of our book? Amen? So many words are the most powerful things. It's created wars. It's created peace. It's, it's pulled a home apart. What causes a family to fall apart? Words, right? It's pulled people closer. It's pulled people far. It's blessed people. It's cursed people. Words, right? I'm speaking about words and they come from your heart, right? What else has words done? Words has made you prosper. Words has made you go through heavy times because of your words. Amen? Words have caused sunshine in your life and words have caused thunder in your life. Who's had a little bit of thunder in your words? <laughs> Amen? Sometimes there's a little thunder in the voice. It like lowers a little bit, get a little angry, comes up a tone or two, and then afterwards you're so sorry for what you're saying. In the same instance, words, words have given offense and you've taken offense. Where does offense come from? Words. What this person said and did. But what he did comes from what he said. So it all comes down to words, right? Can I sa safely say that this morning? So words give offense and it, we take offense with words, right? So I've got a demonstration this morning. Um, can the people, the men of the band, the, please come forward? When I was in Lagos last time, the Lord gave me this. And he said, next time you, you preach, use this. And I was like, okay, Lord. And I've been keeping these until today for the right time. Brother Mike, there we go. Okay, so these are offenses, right? So we all get offended. So I'm going to give them all a nice little offense. Okay, there we go. You're all very offended. Okay. The Bible says offense comes to all. It's going to happen. It's inevitable. You get up in the morning, you think I'm going to get this right, and you're angry, right? You're angry at your neighbor, you're angry at somebody riding past you, you're angry at somebody at work, it happens. It's going to happen till eternity, until you die, you are going to get offended, right? Great revelation this morning, okay? <laughs> but the Bible says that you should let it go immediately. So it's not evil to get the offense. Um, who's the first to? You two. You, you let it go, just let it go. Okay. So that ping pong ball was very light. It didn't hurt them, and it's out of their lives. Did it take effort? Was it easy for them to let it go? Yes. Just let it go. Right? Let's show, pick it up again. Let's show the people. Okay, Niku, is that, is that a heavy ball? Not at all. Is it straining you? No. Is, is it effort to hold it? No. Okay. Brother Mike, is that a light ball or a heavy ball? Light. Okay, so we all get offended. When we get the offense, it's not heavy yet. Okay, so what do you do when you get the offense? Let it go. It's as simple as that. You let it go. Sometimes over and over and over until your heart agrees with what you're doing. Right? Because sometimes the first time in an hour, that little voice comes back. Mm, mm, mm. Who does that sister think she is? <laughs> I'm speaking to the ladies because I can, right? Okay? And I mean, I was only trying to be nice. Okay, right? So offense comes, let it go. But if you have to say something, do you see they're saying nothing? Think first. Okay? Think first. Why? Because the thoughts in your heart and in your mind only come into action. Only, they are only given birth when you say it. Until you say it, they are not given birth. They have not been born. Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, so pick up your fences. All right. Yay, should I go? You go to work, somebody offenses. What do you do? It's over. 
It's done, right? But you know what we do? Thank you very much. Thank you. You two can go have a seat. You are good offense letting go people. We decide, you know what? Uh-uh. This is not worth it. I so deserve this offense. I am I'm actually so angry at this lady. I'm praying that God would enlighten her eyes to see what she has done. Who's ever prayed that prayer? Lord, open her eyes to see the evil in her heart. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. So, Brother Paul, you've held on to your ping pong balls, and they've started to grow. Right? So now, they aren't light ping pong balls anymore. They're a little heavier. Right? Shake your ball. Shake it harder. Okay. There's supposed to be a light in that ball. Because now you start getting a bit of an edge. There we go. Do you see the light? Is there a light in the ping pong ball? Does it take effort to hold a ping pong ball? Okay, so he's got a ball, and he's looking after this offense nicely. He's growing it in his heart. He's feeding it. He's thinking about it. He's meditating it on it. And he's even sharing with other people. Because he's, he's, he's got a little spark going there. <laughs> he's sharing with other people. He's going, do you know what she did to me? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Now, Brother Neil keeps it even longer than Brother Paul. His ball grows a little bigger. Right? So now the fence is... Can I have that one, please? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Now the fence is growing a little bit more. It's taking a little bit more effort to hold it. He can still control it. He's pretty much in control. But it's starting to take a lot more space than the ping pong ball, right? Is it a little bit heavier? Can you feel it in your hands? Can you worship with it? He can worship with it, but it's a little bit, little bit more effort, right? Because now he's, so, he's being held captive by the devil. Remember, if you let the offense go in the beginning, it's nothing. These first two people, they're not even writing this test. They're out of here. If you hold on to the ball, the devil is starting to keep you captive. He's trapping you. Okay? And the thing about this is everything grows. So now your fence gets a little bigger. Okay? Was the ping pong ball heavy? When it was thrown to you, what did you have to do? Just let it go. Just let it go. But what do we do? We start, it starts growing. This is all on the inside, right? It's on all of us. It can happen to any one of us. And it grows and it grows and it grows. And we start giving birth to hurt, to jealousy, to envy, to pride. Offense leads to pride, church. And pride is ugly. Ugly, ugly. Because God opposes the proud heart. He gives grace to the humble. Do you see what a trap this is? And it all started with this. Something easy where God said, let it go. Let it go, okay? So now what happens? Brother Pierre, you are been carrying a fence for a long time. Whoops. But I want you to hold it out in the front like the other brothers here. So Brother Pierre started with the same ping pong ball, right? <laughs> hold it nice and straight out that it makes your arms pain. <laughs> Amen. So what started is this. Where God said it's easy, let it go. We thought we're better than God. And we're much smarter than God. And God doesn't understand. Because my pride has really got hurt. And it starts growing. And growing and growing. Where this person, who, who was in the beginning here? Yeah? In the beginning it was nothing. Now it starts growing. But you know what pride does? Pride hardens your heart. 
Now, when you read the Bible, it's not the Holy Spirit enlightening the Bible anymore because it's just a book. Because how can He enlighten the Bible through all of that? God, the Holy Spirit and pride, Holy Spirit and offense cannot live together. It becomes a book. It becomes literature, right? Please just hold this one for me. There we go. Like they're holding it. Let them. Do you see the difference, church? <laughs> Do you see where we started? Do you see how easy God made it for us? And then we got smart, right? And this is over time because it cannot, cannot stop growing. So now when you get to this point, people are speaking to you and you're going, Brother Pierre, you need to forgive. The Lord says that he loves you. Can he even see me? You know, Brother Pierre, you should let it go. Because all he's doing is he cannot help but look through this. Do you see what I'm saying? Now he's, he's, he's married to Marlene and Marlene steps out of line. Guess what he's looking at? He's looking at the offense instead of the word. And here we come and say, Brother Pierre, yeah, the word. The word says you must love your wife, Brother Pierre. I wanted it to be heavy. I even put water in that bowl, right? Because it's not just air. You have to have grace with him. But this is the effect I wanted because you will never forget what offense will do to you. It becomes heavy. You become heavy. You become depressed. You don't know what to do. You don't know where to look because you're looking at the fence. Now it doesn't matter what I come. I'm coming. I'm saying, Brother Pierre, the Lord says that you should love your wife. And he's saying, no, I can't love my wife. Do you know what she did to me? I'm saying, Brother Pierre, the Holy Spirit says that he's your shepherd. You'll never want anything. And he goes, no, it's not true. Look what happened. You bump into other brothers and sisters. Shame, they're just walking past you. And guess what comes out? The offense. Who do you think you are? Do you see what it does to you, church? Where it started with this. It started with this. This is nothing. Now you start getting all these symptoms of pride. You become arrogant. You've become fault-finding. You've got a harsh spirit, right? You're defensive. Have you ever met a defensive person? I never said that. That's not what I said, right? (laughs) You become very desperate for attention. (laughs) But you actually don't want attention. Do you see how snookered you are? The the devil has put you in a cage, big time. And you start neglecting others. Because all you can focus on is yourself. Because as much as what I can't see him, he can't see me. Can the real Pierre see me behind the ball? Was it ever meant to be that ball? It was supposed to be this. Right? Are you getting me this morning, church? And all of this starts with words. Because if you get a thought in your heart and in your mind, we all get thoughts. The, 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 the trick is don't say it. It'll try, try, come out the whole time and eventually it'll go away. Because it needs a voice to birth it. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that, that thought, that evil in your heart needs a vocal to make it live. Right? Because we need to speak life. Can you imagine what it means if we use the word? If I change the offense to God's word. Where my revelation was this much in the beginning. And I start meditating on the word. And eventually it becomes so big that it overpowers me. All I can see is the word of God. All I can do is the word of God. Isn't that amazing? Are you following me this morning, church? The scary thing is if you don't take hold of your heart, your past will take hold of it. And it will control it. Something will take hold of your heart. Your heart is not neutral like your mind is not neutral. So if you don't take control, your past will and it will control you. 
you, where it was supposed to be something so small, I said the other day to somebody, I said it was a moment, don't make it a monument. Right? Turn to your neighbor, say it was a moment. Don't make it a monument. It happened. Don't put, set up a whole statue to remember it for the rest of your life. Right? Because in the process of getting to where we want to be, we have to enjoy life. I told the band, value the, the process more than the result. Value the time. Many people are so waiting for that end result. If I just have my breakthrough, if I just have this, if I just have my husband, life is going to be great. Right? But God says he wants you to be happy in the meantime as well. So you're missing out in this big part of life because you're holding your breath for that moment. Right? So another example is an egg. If I take an egg and I smash an egg here, will I be able to collect that egg and put it together exactly like it was? It's exactly the same with words. Your words are the egg. If you throw it down, it's out there. You can't pull it back, right? That's why God says, put a guard in front of your mouth. Before you must speak, if you must speak, think, is this really worth it to write this part in my story? Is this chapter so worth it? Am I going to give my time, my resources, and my energy to this chapter? Right? Amen. Am I speaking to somebody this morning? Amen. Amen. The nation of Israel was a very good example of negative words. (laughs) You will remember this every single time now, church. Because you know what? It's as easy as throwing a ping pong ball away. But we, because of our stubborn and rebellious nature, we want to hold that big ball and think that God must bless us. And we're going to be great and we're going to do big things for God. Now we come to church, we must worship. All we sing is all the bad that's ever happened to me. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this treatment. I don't deserve what happened. You know what? It happened. So what? It was a moment. Don't make it a monument. Right? Okay, even straight out in front of you, please. Okay. Thank you. Right. (laughs) So the essence of your words... You speak determines your life. Luke 6 verse 43 to 46 says, You'll never find choice fruit hanging on a bad, unhealthy tree. And rotten fruit doesn't hang on a good tree. Every tree will reveal, is revealed by the quality of fruit that it produces. Figs or grapes will never be picked from thorn trees. People are known the same. Out of the virtue stored in your heart, good and upright people will produce good fruit. But out of the evil hidden in your heart, evil ones will produce what is evil. For the, outflow, for the outflow of what has been stored in your heart will be seen by your fruit and heard in your words. Out of the good treasure of your heart will come good things. You've got a good treasure, goodness, kindness, faithfulness will follow you. You have an evil treasure, curse will follow you. You're cursing everyone, you're angry at everyone, you're angry at the whole world, right? Because why? You were never meant to hold that ball. The nation of Israel is a good example of words spoken. They, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said, if only, if only, if only we had died in Egypt or in, the, or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. If only, who's ever used if only? The same God that was there in Israel is yet today. Guess what? The same kind of people that were there are yet today. We fight the same sinful nature. 
if only, if only this had happened and if only that had happened. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Can you imagine? Then Moses goes and intercedes for them, right? So God says, I'm going to do for you exactly what you are saying. The same, God is saying the same to you today. I will do for you what you are saying. If you want blessing, declare blessing, right? If you want him to prosper, prosper, right? God created the universe with words. The universe, the very beginning, God said, let there be light. God said, let the waters part. God said, let there be walking, living creatures. God said, let us create man. And then he created him, right? So God said, and it was, words created the world, and so words will create your world. If the words God spoke created the world, why do you think your words won't create? You are made in his likeness. Amen? Amen. You are made in his likeness. So if God speaks and it happens, what will happen if we start speaking? It will happen. Towards the good or the bad. And God's giving us a very simple one. He says, there we go, there's the little ping pong ball. If it happens, let it go. Bam, sorted, moving on. And then we think, no, no, shame. Look at me, I'm so hurt. And you start looking after it, and it becomes your little pet in your heart. Start feeding it. And you know what the devil is so good to? Just come and feed that little pet with you. Right? Where sister just bumped into you, by next week the sister is absolutely a demonic force from hell. Am I right? Amen. Amen. If you can bear with me, say amen. 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 Because this happens in all of our lives. In my life, in your life, doesn't matter if you're a pastor, a bishop, a priest, it happens. Right? But in the beginning, if you just let it go, it's nothing. It can't affect you. Right? Jesus spoke in the beginning. And he said, let there be. God said, let there be. Let there be. What is your let there be? What is your let there be? Let there be light in my marriage. Oh, my marriage. You don't know. I'm living with this man. Right? And the devil's so good to plant thoughts in marriages. Church. Just one little thought. Just one ping pong ball. And then you just feed it a little while. And later on you just can't realize why you're so angry at him. Right? Amen? <laughs> Brother Mike's even getting tired with his ping pong ball here. <laughs> with your children. You know we can get offended with our children? You are these beautiful creatures God gave us. Right? When it's a ping pong ball, let it go. Because later on you realize all you're looking at them is through the fence. Do you hear what I'm saying? I can put anybody standing here. Amen? But then the Lord took me to a wonderful place in the Bible. We're going to go look at Jesus on the cross. God spoke again seven times on the cross. You know Jesus spoke seven times on the cross? Seven different statements he made on the cross. And those seven statements are so profound, it's, it's blown me out the water. Because when God said in Genesis, he said, let there be light, let there be creatures, let there be people on earth, let, let's create man, Right? On the cross, Jesus also said a few words. Amen? Do you know that? Turn to your neighbor and say, hang on. So on the cross, seven things were spoken, right? The first one was a word of forgiveness. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. 
right? Chronologically arranged, they say that on the cross, and according to reading of scripture, this must have started when they started putting Jesus on the cross. It wasn't when he was um, mounted yet. So as they took his body and they laid his body on the cross, and they, and, and they say according to, um, according to history, a cursory reading of scripture, they say that he must have said it over and over again, right? So as they laid his body down on the cross to crucify him, he was saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. As they took his left hand and they started nailing it to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. As they took his other hand, his right hand, and he nailed it to the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. As they put his, nailed his feet to the cross, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Over and over and over again, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. In his pain, in his torment, he was already thinking about you and I and being an intercessor for us. He's our intercessor today, right? Amen. As Jesus stood there, he must have thought of everybody that had betrayed him. Can you imagine? All his disciples left. The, the Pontius Pilate, the censor, everybody had left him, right? And he was just saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, over and over again, over and over again. That is so profound to me that God would choose to forgive, to, to stand in the gap for us and forgive us over and over and over again. Can you imagine? Over and over, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Spurgeon says their hands were imbrued in his blood, and it was then, even then, that he prayed for them. Isn't that amazing? Their hands were full of his blood while they were nailing him to the cross, and he was praying for them. Turn to your neighbor and say, this Jesus, your, okay? <laughs> Can we ever find a greater picture of the death of Christ's love? Even in that moment, he chose you. At the height of his pain, at the height of the, everything, in the height of being betrayed by the crowds, by his disciples, the very people that shouted Hosanna in the highest were the very same people crucifying him. And he still decided to do it for you. And you know what? He was thinking of me as well, right? In that very moment on the cross. So the first thing was about a word of forgiveness. Romans 5 verse 8 it says, And there's still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we never have to experience the wrath of God. Because over and over again, he said, For your Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Even today, he comes in front of the Father and says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them, Lord. Hey, isn't that amazing? Amen. Father, forgive them is the level of our forgiveness for one another. This should never happen if we, if we have the same heart as Jesus. If we held Father, forgive them, would we get to the big gray ball? That is the measure of our forgiveness, the way Jesus forgave. So if somebody offends you, what is the first thing you should think? This is... This is, Father, forgive them. Do you hear what I'm saying? If the offense comes to you, what must you do? 
Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. If I offend somebody, Father, forgive me. It's over. Because Christ has paid the price, right? The second thing he did was a word of salvation. After he said, Father, forgive them, I don't know what they're doing. The, the, the two criminals on the side that were, that were crucified next to him, they were first mocking him. And at a stage, we don't know how, but the one criminal starts realizing, but you know what, this man doesn't deserve to be here. And he says to the other, the other criminal, why are you mocking him? He says, this man has done no wrong. Right? Both criminals had access to Jesus, right? One criminal asked him, Lord, remember me. Both had equal access to Jesus. One wasn't anywhere else. They both could speak to Jesus, right? It represents us. We can come to the Father or we can just walk away. The first one spent eternity with the Lord and the second one, And they both had the same opportunity at the same moment next to Jesus. And Jesus chose to focus on this criminal in his pain. He was in excruciating pain and he gives his attention to this criminal. Have you ever thought of this, church? This is the blood of Jesus. This is our Jesus. He's in excruciating pain. He is on his own. He's been crucified. And this criminal says, remember me. And God takes the time to speak to this criminal. He doesn't say, hey. I'm in pain now, hey? I'm also going through something. Right? But that's what we do, right? If somebody comes and says, oh, not now. No, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm dealing with something. <laughs> right? <laughs> Is it, if it's you, okay, it's me. Who's it, anyone else? Okay, we're honest here, guys, okay? <laughs> I'm really, I'm just dealing with this and I'm going to get to you. Jesus, in those moments of pain and torture and torment, turned and looked at him and he gave this criminal his attention. And he saved him. Because he admitted his guilt. He says, we've done something wrong. We deserve to be here. He's done nothing wrong. He doesn't deserve to be here. Right? So the first word was a word of forgiveness. Something that said first is very, very important, right? Even in addressing anyone. Your first impression, your first word is very important. And his first thing he said was spoke about forgiveness. Because he knows to finish strong, we need to forgive over and over and over and over and over again. To finish strong is to put your head down one day and say, I'm offenseless. Can you die offenseless today? Because you haven't let go of the ping pong. The ping pong has become a ball. Now it's a little bit more hectic to get it out of your life. Right? Understand what I'm saying. So the first one was forgiveness. The second one was salvation. So the ball has the same effect on everyone. Do you notice that? The big ball didn't not affect Uncle Pierre or affect Brother Mike. You hear what I'm saying? What I'm trying to show you even in this is that offense, you can't say it doesn't, doesn't get to me. It won't do it to me. It'll, it might do it for him, but I'm strong. <laughs> right? It has the same effect on all of them. We'll see Brother Mike here, okay? He's the final one to go through the torture this morning. So the second one, the first one was forgiveness. The second word was, today you'll be with me in paradise. It was the, the, the criminal next to him, right? That spoke of salvation. The third thing Jesus did on the cross. Can you imagine? He thinks of his mom. He's, he's concerned about relationship. As the firstborn in the family, Joseph had probably passed away by then and he was looking after his mom. And he turns to his mom in his pain, in his anguish, 
And he, he's concerned about his mom. Relationship. God is saying, forgive. Hold salvation in your heart all the time. And I'm, I'm concerned about your relationships. Right? In his pain and suffering, he looks at his mom. And he says, look, mom, here's your son. Here's your, here's your mother. Right? Are you with me? So as Mary was on the heart of Jesus, and he was concerned about her, you and I are on his heart, and he's concerned about us. Last night when the Holy Spirit just dropped this in my heart, I, I'm, I was so overwhelmed. It's just like the same love he had and the concern he had for Mary is the same love and concern he has for you. Can you imagine this? Jesus was concerned about the relationship. Amen? Right through Jesus' trial, right through the, from the beginning, over and over again, they, they kept reiterating the innocence of Jesus in the Bible. Do you know that? Judas said, I, I have betrayed innocent blood. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with this just man. The Roman censor watching Jesus die said, surely this was a righteous man. And the thief said, this man has done nothing wrong. Just to show us, Jesus did not deserve to go to the cross. But in his person and in his being, he went to the cross because he had you on his heart. He knew you'd be sitting here today, right? He knows where you're going to be sitting next week, right? Amen. The same God, the very same God. So Jesus says he's concerned about relationship. Okay, so it was forgiveness, salvation, relationship. Remember he said seven things on the cross. In excruciating pain, these seven things must have been really important, right? The fourth thing he spoke about, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Abandonment. Right? Jesus felt deserted by God himself. Can you imagine? He'd always had communion with God. He'd always been with God. He felt deserted by God himself. And he felt lonely. We often speak about Peter denying him. Um, all, of the, all of the disciples ran away, Right? <laughs> we all, all shame, oh Peter, you know, oh Peter, you just denounced Jesus. All of them ran away. None of them stayed, right? In the end, some of them came back, but they all ran away. They all didn't go through the whole crucifixion with him, right? Abandonment. And that is, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To tell you that you have to never be forsaken. You don't have to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he will never leave or forsake you. So he felt total abandonment, right? Can you imagine in your situation, God will never leave you. He says, when you go through the fire, I will be there. The fire can never destroy you, church. You know what can destroy you? Your fear of the fire. Your marriage can never destroy you. Guess what can destroy you? Your fear in the marriage, right? Turn to your neighbor, say, your fire cannot destroy you. But fear of your fire can destroy you. Because God says you, you cannot be shaken, right? Okay, the fifth thing that he said, he said, I'm thirsty. This was the only human kind of element that he brought out on the cross. The, nothing else was really a human, a, a, we get thirsty as humans, right? But I don't think he was just thirsty for, for something to drink. I think he was thirsting for God already because he was longing for him, right? He was thirsty on the cross. And they brought him he, um, a plant called hyssop. 
that they, 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 they put in um, vinegar to give him something to drink. It was very interesting, yeah. Um, I was looking at it last night, and then the Holy Spirit just said, look at the Passover, you know, in the Old Testament. What did they use to put on the doors? The blood on the doors. Hesop, right? And what was the plague just before the hyssop on the doors? It was darkness, right? Just before Jesus died on the cross, there was darkness. Where in the Old Testament, the Passover lamb was a physical lamb and the hyssop was taken from the door. Yeah, yeah, Jesus is the lamb. And he has the hyssop. And he has the darkness before. Do you hear what I'm saying? He t- took that whole thing and he, and he said, yeah, you don't need a lamb anymore. I'm the sacrifice. The hyssop that was used there was a hyssop used for, to give him something to drink. Small things that we just read past in the Bible, right? And he said, I thirst. I thirst. He was the lamb still choosing to die for you and me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst for you. On the cross, he was forsaken so that you would never be. And on the cross, he suffered thirst so that you might always freely drink. Always drink of his goodness. Always drink. It's readily available. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, we're getting there. Right? So he said, I thirst. And then after that, he says, it is finished. But he doesn't say it as a dying man. Over and over in scripture, it says he screamed it out in a loud voice. He screamed, it is finished. He didn't scream and say, oh, it's finished. He screamed it out as a victory. He'd gathered his victory. He'd come to this point of victory. He wasn't a sick, frail, dying man. He was a strong man who chose to die. And in his victory, he screamed, it is finished. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. It is done. The price has been paid. No more suffering. No more pain. It is finished. I don't think you get this, church. He didn't go, oh, it's finished. He said, it's finished. When are you going to stand up and say, it is finished? This nonsense in my life, it is finished. This defeat and failure is finished. Amen. You are are children of the Most High God. That is your God. That is your Father. And we go, oh, Jesus. Help me. I don't know. We have to get a voice again and stand as the church of God and say it is finished. If I go through fire, it will not destroy me. If I go through water, it will, I will not drown. If the cross did not destroy Jesus, why would it destroy me? It cannot. They, Jesus went there on his own. They didn't force him. He could have in one second got angels to take him off the cross. One second. Over. In one breath, he could have chosen to be over. They said, even as he, like he hung, every time he pushed himself up, he had to take a, he had to take for, he had to push himself up to take a breath, because part of the crucifixion was that you you lose your breath. Can you imagine? He'd had thirty odd hits on his back, so every time he took a breath, and he pushed himself up, church, he chose you. Every breath he took, he chose you. Because every breath he took, took effort. And it took pain. Because he had to rub his back up against the cross. Every breath he chose you. Amen? Amen. Amen. This is the God and he said it is finished. I've paid the price. I've become the Passover lamb. 
We don't need a lamb on the outside anymore. I am the lamb. Right? Amen. Another way of saying it is finished. It's, it's complete. It's fulfilled. It's to make something happen, to bring something to fruition. It means a payment of a debt. Written across a bill, it means paid in full. Paid in full. It is finished means paid in full. Right? Okay? God is saying, I've paid the price in full. I have paid for your victory. I've paid for you to walk in power. I've paid for you to walk in victory. But you now create your world with this. He said this on the cross. He said one more thing. I'm going to tell you the last thing. He seven words on the cross painted the whole picture. Forgiveness, salvation, relationship, abandonment. Right? I first was... was, was um, Desperation. He was desperate. But even in the middle, in abandonment and desperation, he still didn't get off. Right? Sometimes in the battle, we have to put our heads down and we have to get through the battle. Right? And keep this thing closed. Right? Sometimes I even do this. <laughs> right? Because I so badly want to say something. And with the husband I have, he does not allow me to say anything. And with him and the Holy Spirit, I'm snookered, right? <laughs> because I'm not allowed to say anything, right? If I say anything negative, he sorts me out. But that's how you should be with each other in the family. Because we, we must not break down. We are writing our book. What is your chapter today? Am I building up my breaking down? So while you've got that pen in your hand, you, you write a good chapter. Of If somebody reads your book afterwards, they must see that you stood in faith, not in doubt. Amen? Amen? If I had to take your book today and read your book by every word you'd spoken, what would your book tell me? Turn to your neighbor and say, what would your book's title be? Let them answer. Oh. <laughs> Is it a love story or would your book be a horror? And you writing a church, God isn't writing it, he's given you the pen. And he said, look how I wrote it. It's easy. I've done it. You can't have more pain than me. You can't be more offended than what I should have been offended. Nobody can abandon you worse or make you feel desperate enough. Right? He had everything. And he, and he chose right, right? Are you okay, Brother Mike? Okay, cool. The seventh and final word the Lord said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right? And this was a prayer of surrender. Surrender, right? This was directed to the Father in heaven before he died. And Jesus was obedient to the Father to the end. And his final words on the cross was a prayer to his Father. His final words was a prayer to his Father. But despite the fact that he felt abandoned, that he felt desolate, that he felt that God wasn't there, Right? Because the Father had to turn his face from him. Can you imagine living in eternity in one, with one in the, with the Father? And that moment when the Father turns away. It's the first time Jesus had ever felt the Father not being with him. Huh? And he said, I pray to his Father. What would your final words be? Right? 
Would you have to go, Lord, I forgive this one, and I forgive this one, and I forgive this one, and I forgive this one. And Lord, this one, and this one, Lord, I really, really forgive this one. And this one, Lord, and this one. Or could your prayer be surrender? I've run the race. I've finished strong. I've let it go when it was a ping pong ball. Right? Because my heart can only accommodate one person. The Holy Spirit can't live with that. Can the Holy Spirit live in your heart with that ugly thing? So what happens then? And then people say, I don't know, God's not with me, hey? And we're like, let it go. We hold on to things and we wonder why we're getting tired. Oh, I'm so tired. This life, oh. I'm so tired. When is my breakthrough coming? Where God is saying, enjoy the process. In your refining time, in the time where I'm getting you ready to be in front of me one day, there's going to be a little fire. How would you know you're a genuine Christian if we don't test you? How? In your good times, can we test the genuineness of you? Everybody can shout hallelujah in good times, right? Everybody can say we serve a good, good God. Amen? It's in the hard times that you choose. I'm serving God regardless. If God delivers me from the fire or not, he's still my deliverer. Now we're speaking about genuine Christians, right? Because many people have a relationship with God where they're dating him. You know, in a date, you see him every now and again. You can go home, do what you want to, come back. It's very convenient. Instead of being in a marriage with him. A marriage is a lot more effort. Am I speaking the truth? Amen. Amen. A marriage is a lot more effort. Time, resources. Your husband sees you in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. Right? He sees you with makeup, without makeup. You don't wake up with lip gloss. Amen? If you're dating someone, you've always got lip gloss on. But when you've got a husband, he sees you in the morning and you just try to get your eyes open. Then my lip gloss on. Right? And he still loves you. Amen? He, and that's how Jesus, he knows everything. He knows what's bothering you. He knows what's ugly in you. And he still loves you. Amen. I'm speaking as a girl. Guys, you still need to shave in the morning, right? Okay. But God knows. God sees everything. We're in a marriage with him. He just wants to be the husband. He doesn't want to be the date. Right? A date is convenient and I'm ready when I see you. And if I don't feel like you, go home. Am I speaking the truth? Amen. When you date someone, it's nice. When you get engaged, it gets a little bit more intense. Mind Jesus, and then you get married. Right? I've been married 23 years. I can speak about this. It's the most wonderful thing on earth, but it's the one institution God put in on earth to show you all the chachi inside of you, all the chacha, you know, the, all the horrible stuff on the inside of you that needs to be sorted out. You see how selfish you are and how it's all about me. And I don't feel this way. And I don't know why you're not feeling this way either. You're hurting my feelings. Number one offense place, marriage. Who's married? Who can say amen with me? Amen. Amen. That person that you could love to death is the person you can be so angry with that you'd never want to see them again. Right? But you know what? Even in marriage, that little ping pong is easy peasy to let go. It's if you keep it in your heart that it starts putting this ball between the two of you. That big, the big, big gray one. Now, how do you communicate? Because all you're seeing is this ball. 
As much as they want to see me, they can't. The ball's in the way. Right? So God's final, Jesus' final words was to pray to God. I'm finishing. He was not killed, but rather he purposely and voluntarily gave his life. He chose to die. He chose to speak life. And he chose to control his thoughts. He chose. Every day you choose if you want to hold that ping pong ball. Right? Many years you've spoken failure where God has said you're the head and not the tail. Many years you've spoken sickness where God has said, I've healed you. By, your, my, by my stripes you're healed. Many years you've spoken defeat where God has said, I've, t- I've paved the way for you, walking in victory. But then you are complaining, but you're speaking. Why are you complaining? Do you get what I'm saying this morning? Right? If I want a good marriage, I need to put in some good words there. I have the most handsome husband. He's smart and he's cute and he loves me. Right? And when he does something that irritates me, he's like, you know, it's not worth the energy. (laughs) Right? Same with the men. Men, I love my wife. She's my best friend. (laughs) We sometimes want our husbands to be our best friends, right? And he's a man. Ladies, let me give you good advice. Men are not your best friends like your best friend buddy. They're not girls, right? So they're not going to sit and ask you how you're feeling all the time. Am I helping somebody this morning? They are not your girlfriend. They're your husband. God has given him to complete you. If I need to be completed, do I need another one of me? Okay? Am I helping someone? Right? So he's not your girlfriend. He's doing what he needs to do. He's not always going to come into the room, even as a pastor's wife. My baby, how are you feeling? Why are you feeling this way? Speak to me. Amen? (laughs) The ladies are laughing because you all do that, right? Why don't you just listen to me? Just listen, right? And they do give us attention, and then they don't answer fast enough. You're not listening. I'm speaking, and you're not answering. And the poor dude is trying to just process everything because your words are like six million at a shot, right? Girls speak a lot more than guys, right? And I've, I've seen after 23 years of marriage, he loves me so much, but he's not my girlfriend. He doesn't have to come and ask me how I'm feeling every day because you know what? I need to be feeling what the Word of God tells me I'm feeling. And if I'm down, he will encourage me. Trust me. He'll be there for me. But he's not going to come and have tea with me every night. Okay? Amen. Amen? Because you're his helpmate. You're there to support him. You're there to love him. I promise you, if you love your husband and love him and love him, you won't believe what you'll get back. But we criticize and condemn and we tell them all their faults all the time. Right? Amen? Amen? And we've all played in this movie, church. 23 years of marriage, I can tell you. Right? It's way easier just to see the good. Because then I've got a lot less gray balls that I have to carry. Right? Okay, right. Conclusion. Jesus spoke words of life, we speak them. The mind must be discipled to become your servant and not your master. Let your words become the photograph of your future you desire. Philippians 4 verse 8 says, So keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real. Honorable and admirable. Beautiful and respectful. Pure and holy. Merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God. Praising Him always. Follow the example of all that we have imparted 
to you, and the God of peace will be with you in all things. Keep your thoughts continually. Your thought mind is not going to go away. It's thinking good or bad all the time, right? On everything that is real, honorable, admirable, beautiful, respectful, pure, holy, merciful, and kind. Can you imagine what your chapter of your book would be written like? What it would read if you had this? It would read, Tolo is a woman of faith. Tolo chooses God's word above her feelings. Tolo walks in righteousness. Tolo loves her Jesus above all. Tolo lets go of of offense. Tolo refuses to tolerate anything else in her heart but the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? What is that chapter in your book, people? If you're thinking of everything that is good and kind and real, if somebody bumps me, then let them bump me. Let a little bit of kindness come out, right? Amen? When I get an offense and I have a ping pong ball, I let it go. Let it go. It was a moment, not a monument. Let it go. Take a minute in your heart this morning. Just close your eyes. And you know what's that little ping pong ball that you've been holding. That's maybe become the little one with the sparks or the bigger offense or even the big gray ball. It's not worth it, church. You were never designed to carry a big gray ball. Just speak to him this morning and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for allowing offenses in my heart. I'm sorry for allowing all the wrong to grow, Lord. I'm sorry, Father. Have mercy on me, son of David. Have mercy on me. Pray with me. Say, draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I may love only what is holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, Holy Spirit. Breathe in me, Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may be holy. Strengthen me, Holy Spirit, in my words, in my thoughts, in my deeds, to always defend that which is holy. Strengthen me, Holy Spirit, in words, in thoughts, and in deeds, to defend that which is holy. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon. For more information, please go to our website, www.hoc.org.za. Household of Christ, loving God, loving people.